Hello, I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore, and welcome to the Framestore podcast, our third of four special episodes where we review what was 2022 through the lens of hand-picked members of Framestore leaders in film and episodic, advertising, immersive, and pre-production services. As I'm sure you know by now, our podcast is a learning and talent development focused podcast made by Framestore for Framestore. And each week we present a conversation across two halves, but not for these episodes. Firstly, there's no co-host, just yours truly chatting to our senior leaders. And rather than the usual set questions designed to find out what makes our guests tick, we've altered the questions slightly to focus more on the work, the shows, projects and people. Our special guest for this episode is Carl Woolley, Global Head of Immersive. This is another brilliantly inspiring and candid conversation and a great opportunity to look under the hood of last year, aided by some incredible Framestore projects, experiences, and of course, Carl's perspectives. So that's it for now. We very much hope you enjoy episode seven of the Framestore podcast with Carl Woolley. Hello and welcome to the third of our four special episodes of the Framestore podcast, looking back across 2022. As mentioned in the short introduction at the top of this episode, we have temporarily altered the format for our first drops of 2023 by reflecting on our work last year via a new version of the Framestore podcast Daily's Questions. As you know, we've already covered film and episodic and advertising with Lucy Killick and James Razzle last week. Kicking off this week's set of episodes to talk about the amazing work in Immersive is our special guest, Carl Woolley, Global Head of Immersive. Welcome to the podcast, Carl. How the devil are you? Happy New Year, I should say. Thank you. I'm I'm honoured to be invited and introduced as a as a special guest in a special episode. So I feel I feel very special. Happy New Year to you too. Thank you, thank you. And yeah, how many times can I say special in one intro? Special is a special episode, isn't it? That's the in the byline of this this podcast, I think. The special one. It is the special one. Not that I'm a fan of Mourinho. <laughs> I mean I I know I know Mel and William like to start there, ask me anything with a bit of football chat. So I think it's only appropriate I get that quickly out of the way. Weave it in, please do, Carl. I'll make sure that stays in the uh, the final edit. Fabric of frame store, a bit of football. You know exactly, exactly. I'm not going to pick any teams. That could be a bit political. I want to. I'm here to win friends and influence people in my my early months at Framestore. Not get too stuck into football chat. Very good. But yeah, it's good to have you on, Carl. And thank you so much for uh, stepping up to do it. You're in fine company with the, the roll call we have for these uh, special episodes. That's all good. Um, and yeah, happy new year. I mean, um, can we still say that at this uh, late juncture in January? I feel like. I feel like the systems team need to write me a plugin for Gmail that automatically determines if I've said it too many times or not. And have I capitalized the right parts of happy new year and or happy holidays or best like, you know, end of this week, I think. End of this week, I think. Yeah, I don't know what the rules are around happy new year with the capitals. I always go capitals. I don't know what it says about me. And what it says about somebody who goes for the lowercase happy new year. But there's, you know. I think happy new year lowercase says... I'm in a rush. Disingenuous Happy New Year. All caps means smile like you mean it, doesn't it? 
That's what it says to me. Well, you can't say this isn't a learning and development focused podcast, can't you? We're already schooling <laughs> yeah. the, the frame store masses with how to write your your New Year emails. <laughs> um, so, how was your your break? Did you get a Did you get a break? It was it was great, thank you, Simon. Yeah, it was just just long enough. I think you know we had a very busy year last year, and I think we were all excited to see the back of what's been a tumultuous couple of years and start to put some roots down into into 23 with exciting projects that we've got planned and new members joining my team and my team coming together as one big global team rather than pockets of teams so I was you know re- ready to kick 23 off and you know I love a break I love I love a bit of rest but I also you know I've always got some some something ticking over in the back of my mind that's getting me up and wanting to check what's going on so I think I had you know, we're lucky with the way the holidays fall. It's just the sweet spot, I think, you know, 10 days or so. It's just about right, I think. How about you? Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, very, very low-key, very quiet. Um, similar, really. I don't like... I, I worked on the, the the sandwich bit in the middle of the uh, the holidays. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, iron- is it ironically? But ironically, I was ed- editing podcasts on those three days because it was that lovely three days <laughs> where there were no meetings and no no emails pouring in. So I got to edit a few future episodes, which is really nice and actually felt like a holiday of sorts too <laughs> from uh, from various uh, Google Hangout meetings. Um, but yeah, it was very nice, very restful. Didn't go anywhere because of the wonderful industrial action we're experiencing. There weren't that many trips into the city this year, which we often enjoy, but um, actually quite enjoy keeping it local this year. So Good. super chilled. But again, raring to go really going into this year, particularly off the back of last year. I mean, Carl, you talked about last year being and being a tough year all round and you yeah there's a theme developing on this set of podcasts where all of our your, your fellow peers have said the same thing that it was a a tough year a great year in terms of change and you know we saw the method integration we've seen the new world of hybrid working and how that's shaping up and it'd be good to have a conversation about that and then of course you know, congratulations on your fairly recent news of, of being promoted to global head of immersive it's november wasn't it no yes november yeah i'll do my research carl come on <laughs> yeah 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 no link, link linkedin doesn't lie does it the stats don't lie linkedin doesn't lie yeah i mean you know to touch on some of the things you just brought up there simon i think start of lockdown and you think what the the support and systems teams achieved so quickly to have us all at home and up and running and you know over the past couple of years we've developed new working practices and ways to work remotely because we've had to which has meant that things like the the industrial action that's going on in the UK at the moment has meant we've got a way to work if we can't get into the office you know three four years ago or 17 and a half years ago when I joined Framestore as a runner like how are you running remotely doesn't happen you need to be in and around the people and the tapes or the drives or whatever so I think you know in some ways the pressure put upon us by having to work remotely has been great because it's accelerated the technology and enabled us to to have a flexible way of working that means if you need to be traveling a lot with your role you can sometimes spend a bit more time at home with your family or your friends and you know work at home rather than traveling into the office and missing out and seeing them so I think it it offers flexibility for frame store employees which is great because frame store's always been about us it's always been about the the people and in some ways that's been a huge benefit but in other ways and I think what we've seen over the last year as we've tried to expand and expanded successfully of course not just through you know the our friends from method and company three joining us but new members joining the various teams across the business to cope with the 
increase in work, bringing those people into Framestore and making them feel like they're part of Framestore when they may have spent the past 12, 18, 24 months working from their their study, their kitchen, their living room, their bedroom. That's been quite a challenge, I think, for everyone. Yeah, and it's it's been on, you know, it's been on my mind. I mean, I've worked here for almost two decades now and I've worked with people in various different offices. So I'm, you know, kind of used to to working remotely with people and lots of our clients are based in the US. But for those who are not as used to that, I should imagine it's quite a quite a change in pace. Um, especially if you're a junior, you know, junior member of staff and this is, you know, podcasts about learning and development, best way to learn is from from people. So we want to do what we can within the leadership team to make sure that people have the opportunities to develop in the way that lots of us have have been able to do so ourselves. Yeah, it's a really good point. And it's, com- it's completely reframed learning, hasn't it? Work- the whole working from home situation. And yes, of course, we are starting to return to spaces and the studios, but you, you never get that full that full sense of the full team with any on the ground training. It's uh, it's definitely switched up how I've thought about my role, hence why we we introduced the mentoring program globally earlier. Well, I say earlier, yeah, earlier last year. And, and even this podcast is all designed to build community globally without necessarily having to walk into an old school classroom and you know cater it and all of that good stuff yeah it's the it's the it's the way and I know you've got children yourself Simon like my my three children that they spend a lot of their time communicating and building communities and virtual worlds and stuff on online it's first nature to them it's not second nature to us you know you think now when we jump on a a zoom call or 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 a hangout or whatever and you see someone working from home it's not alien like I was on a call earlier with with Tim Weber and Theo Jones and a few other people and Tim was not calling Tim out Tim was the last person to join and Tim joined from the office and it's like oh you're in the office not oh you're working from home like it's the the shift is is different so I think you know there's there's pros and cons I think um you know you can't there is no substitute for camaraderie between humans in a group together going through things together physically you know um i think that's how lots of the kind of the great projects have come to fruition at frame stories by you know knuckling down together whether that's in the well street basement or whether that's in kind of chancery lane or in the sub basement at world street where we used to have scanning for like you know i uh, i don't know that we would have been as successful as we have been virtually if we hadn't gone through all of the things together as a team together yeah yeah it's that's yeah that speaks a lot to frame stores culture doesn't it that it's uh the foundations were laid and it's about almost rebuilding recreating that culture through through a virtual lens um and now obviously yeah. it's a hybrid lens and there's lots of different you know there's lots of people who haven't returned to the office there's lots of people who moved away moved out of the cities where the studios are and exclusively work from home you know i've got two members of my team who work predominantly from home you know it is a game changer it'll be interesting to see how it flexes and changes and evolves in the coming year i think which uh, mm. would be, be super fascinating but we're not here to talk about 2023 we're here to talk about last year lovely retrospective car and uh, again, <laughs> I get into these conversations, which we can continue through the dailies questions because the the whole you know 
yeah, hybrid situation. I just find fascinating uh, for all the right reasons. But we should probably start the dailies because there's a few introductory questions in there, which we've kind of already answered, but we will go through them anyway um, because it's the rules of the podcast. So we're going to cue the dramatic whooshy sound effects, which will drop. I'm here for this. I'm here for the whooshing. That's what I'm here for. It's happened. How do you feel? It's a goosebumps. <laughs> goosebumps moment. Uh, so the first question of the, the newly crafted dailies for this episode, Carl, is who, where, what? Who are you? Where are you? And uh, the awkward question, which is what are you working on if you're allowed to talk about it? Because usually we can't. Well, what I can say is uh, my name's Carl Woolley um, and I am based in London, in the London office of Framestore. I'm actually based in Kent right now and that's where I live and so I I, I miss out on a delicious four-hour round-trip <laughs> commute and I'm currently working on several projects none of which I can specifically mention but what I can say is they involve the world of themed entertainment and uh, attractions so we're doing we're doing a couple of quite ambitious and large projects in that space um so we're quite excited to to see those come to fruition not for a couple of years yet so you know if you get me back on the pod again in a couple of years time we'll probably still be talking about them then but you know it's always good to work on those projects where you know what we work on virtually manifests itself in a physical location so that's why we you know we have that attraction side of our business it's an outlet for frame store to put pixels not just on cinema screens but in headsets via projectors in theme parks you know in q media all sorts of outlets for creativity which is you know what we love to do and for people to go and experience the work so you know th- that that work we started last year on three projects um for for a park which you know be continuing over the next 24 months we've got quite a big team working on that predominantly in london but we do have some artists working on that internationally for us which is you know always good to to get more people involved in what we do that's really exciting and this i mean the the attractions part of what we do i've always found fascinating even pre-joining frame store it was always the thing that set frame store apart from other vfx studios that mm-hmm. it, you know it wasn't just the big movies and the big shows and the episodic stuff and the Netflix stuff It was and the commercial work. It was this kind of wacky world of theme park rides. And as you say, going on location. I mean, I remember in my previous guys working at the mill, there was the, uh, the, the future tech guys would go off and do the installations. And there was something so cool about seeing photos from those shoots where there were you know, underground covered in mud or you know proper get your hands dirty work. And the, the assumption with VFX is you're just sitting behind your box and, yeah, creating the magic on there through various software, and it just something seems to be something quite real about working on on attractions. You you make a I think a really good point, Simon. And people with careers in visual effects, I guess you know when you graduate from film school or college or however you're inspired to get into the industry, lots of people perhaps plot their path as to what they want to do and set themselves a goal or an ambition of, I want to animate Iron Man in an, in an Avengers film or part of the franchise. And I think, you know, that there is a home for you at Framestore if that's what you want to do, but also why Framestore is a, is a great 
place to work, I guess, and probably why I've hung hung around, say hung around, why they've allowed me to hang around for these <laughs> these past few years is because there is opportunity everywhere beyond just what you might think is typical of visual effects. You know, so your experience at, you know, where you used to work in terms of installations, I think it's much like, you know, when I, I went to film school at Westminster, I did a film and TV production degree and um, I wanted to get into editing and I realized quite quickly that sitting in a room with clients all day over your shoulder wasn't for me the reality and so I kind of plotted yeah the reality hit and I plotted a slightly different path through Framestore and here I am now but one of the things I always missed was that feeling of being on set and being involved and around the commotion of of a film set whether that's a 200 pound student film or a multi-million dollar budget feature there is something about the practical nature of what I thought was filmmaking but I soon came to realize it's actually about the you know the manifestation of the creative process coming to a point in the real world so whether that's you know you're filming with a camera out and sound or you're you know you're doing an installation in an art gallery or in a museum or in a theme park and you're seeing people go through your experience that has lived inside the computer for so long and then you're seeing people experience it in the world real world it's incredibly rewarding and personally myself I get that same level of of satisfaction and reward from from doing the installations and seeing people and guests use the 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 things that we've made as much as I did the the filmmaking process you know some 20 years ago now so I think it's great that Framestore facilitates that you know and and we we have that division the attractions part of immersive is born out of a passionate group of people and that's you know how how where lots of our successes come from you know they're driven by passion and talent not just a, a business directive and and that's why I think you know we're successful at those things rather than them just be opportunistic they these these small projects grow into into teams you know that's what happened with immersive and um you know you see that across frame store in multiple divisions yeah yeah it's amazing isn't it how like a project or an, an idea or an experiment can be, be the inception of a, a global team years later i mean it's amazing yeah i mean it has to come from somewhere doesn't it like you know it's one thing to say you know, we're a creative company and everything comes from, we're creative at the heart. But I think, you know, the truth of it is we wouldn't be, you know, running around Orlando making a, attractions and amusements for our clients if we didn't have that a group of people that had that initial passion and drive to want to do that as their day job, as well as on their, as on their weekends and their family time. Like, I couldn't think of, you know, if you're into media and entertainment, there's not many places on the planet where you could come and be a part of producing something that you were once a fan of, whether that's, you know, like a Super Bowl commercial that you've kind of, you've all, you know, evokes memories from, you know, you know, from a particular game or whether you're into a TV series or you're a big fan of a, a movie franchise or you love theme parks or, you know, like what a place to work. I mean, I talk about this quite a lot on the podcast is the idea that you're you're feeding into culture, you're part of cinema history or, you know, cultural history, or artistic history, you know, to be involved in anything that, that we produce, whether it be mm. the work you do in immersive, whether it's a, mm. a show, whether it's a 
TV series, whatever. And that credit you've got there will be there forever. And I'll properly geek out on it. I've personally never had a credit. Um, who knows, one day. But it must be amazing to have... Do you not get a credit then, Simon? Nobody credits me for anything. Carl, come on. Oh, for maybe we need to sort that then. Well, you know, I've designed this podcast to, you know, complain about not getting a credit, basically. That's why I bring it up on every episode. But no, it's all good. I just love the idea that, you know, you've got these, you know, people coming in, particularly the, the next generation of talent coming in, who, uh, you know, particularly we look at our apprentices that came mm. coming in, who are 17. Oh, man, it's scary. It's scary seeing some of the the applications done by interns and like you know thanks to you know yourself actually and and your team you know we're doing a lot of mentorship both internally and externally we're allowed to do it's really rewarding to be able to do that and you know there's a a college that I had a a very small part of working with over the last year and the standard of a couple of students was immense it was absolutely incredible when I look back to how ropily embarrassing my showreel would have been. I remember giving to Cy Worley on on the first day saying, look, can you show that to Kerry? Because I'm really interested in getting into editing. And looking back then compared to what some of the students are producing at college as well, so, so not grads or post-grads, it's amazing. You know, and I think the tools are out there now, aren't they? They're so accessible for for professionals and for students and and you know it comes down to raw talent at the end of the day you know technology is a facilitator it's not the be all and end be be all and end all i should say you know it's got to have creative intent at the heart and that's how you develop your your skill and your passion you know over time absolutely and you're you're absolutely right particularly with the next generation coming through because they different to our generation who, you know, you had your course or you did, you know, there was no real YouTube tutorials when I was coming up. You literally just had whatever the tutor taught you and whatever you can kind of do self-directed outside of that. And that was always limited. And to your point around the work we do mm. and the people that work in our industry, people, you know, it's not a nine to five. You don't clock in, you clock out, you do it because you care. You do it because you want to be part of everything we've talked about, culture, history, great work. And kids who are looking to get into industry now, you know, I mean, I, I meet loads of self-taught kids who have never been to college, who have just learned exclusively online, exclusively through YouTube tutorials and wow. a free copy of Blender or whatever, whatever software is available. And they're just, they're just playing with it. Some of the work, I mean, we had the Young, young Animator of the Year competition um, last year, which is an extension of Access VFX. And one of the winners, the, the work, it, it was straight out of the matrix. It was insane. Was it? Yeah, you should, I'll wow. send you the link. Insane almost photo real animation there's different levels and ages but it's just so inspiring and terrifying in a good way the level of talent out there because they're born into it they're born into this digital world where we we kind of weren't but the one thing that is consistent is that passion and drive whether yeah. you've been in the game 20 30 years yeah. or you're looking to get in and i think that's you know like the the job that framestore and our clients are doing is, you know, I guess in a way, you know, we're inspiring those younger audiences through the things that we, and when I say we, I mean us as a as a company, we collectively produce with our clients, you know, whether someone's into The Witcher or they're into, you know, a, a particular theme park or they're into a certain franchise, you know, the, that inspiration comes from somewhere, doesn't it? And it's always interesting to see how the, the the younger generations and the modern take of of something is is now produced compared to how, how we started and I think you know like even listening to myself now 
crazy to think that I was trying to step in at one point myself you know now it's just I've I've grown up with this business from 21 through to now and so it's just it's um it's part of me I feel like you know that um, but I get it yeah the passion has to come from a love of something doesn't it you know like you spend five days a week at work and now you're spending a lot of that time your personal time is is part of your work especially with those working at home so you've got to love what you do so I think part and parcel of the job isn't it you don't meet many people that aren't passionate about a certain area of what they're doing because that's why they get into doing what they do I've only ever met one person in my previous role who almost didn't belong he was an accountant who was hired right we had our first showcase and he watched all the work and I, I came over to him afterwards and I said look what do you think what do you think of the work so they used to show all the commercial work and he went it was all right it was just just some adverts and I was like no man you need to yeah, this, is, this isn't for you <laughs> you need to see beyond the brands and what, what the ads are selling and see the, the craft and the, the artistry so that was game over but typically you don't fall into this kind of work this work whether you work in finance hr talent or in creative and production disciplines it's a labor of love isn't it absolutely I, I couldn't agree more and i think if you consider how in demand some of these skills are now even more so now than perhaps you know 10 years ago i'm talking about the guys and girls in systems and the developers in the software team and r&d and and the devs in my team you know outlets for those skills are so far and wide where people can apply themselves but they choose to apply themselves here i think because the reward of being able to put those skills to use for something that provides broad entertainment for multiple people rather than increasing kind of you know share on profitability index of a particular um stock or something is perhaps less uh, creatively rewarding than it would be financially perhaps so I think you know people do this job because they're passionate about what they do you know and and there's an outlet here for everyone I guess really like you said like whether you're in HR finance or you're you're literally an artist on the box squiggly careers I always call them squiggly careers yeah particularly to your point with coming in and you may think you want to be an animator on an Ironman film and you come in and go, hey, there's an immersive team, there's a design team, oh, there's the Unreal lot over there. You know, there's so many avenues your career can take. It's having an interest in something and then actually coming in and seeing that kind of sandbox that's in front of you because it's bigger than just when I started in the industry, you had 2D, you had 3D, you had production. It's kind of it. And now, I mean, so many disciplines, so many walks of life. It's amazing, really. And still such a young industry in terms of how long the VFX industry mm. has been around, you know, post kind of SFX and blood squibs and latex suits. Easy to take that for granted, isn't it? I think, you know, how, how far the industry has moved, you know, and the changes and, and how it continues to move and the changes that are coming, you know, and the new pla- and, and because of the technology and the platforms. And, you know, I remember being a runner and, subscribing to love film and having dvds delivered in the post Can you imagine that yeah i remember those i used to love that and now it's like i you see i've read an article yesterday like people complaining about the the cancel culture of of netflix because if they don't see kind of like the data doesn't uh demonstrate that there's going to be an immediate return they won't you know they won't continue with the second third fourth or fifth season and um you know people are getting quite upset about it because they invest a lot of time in watching these shows and they really get into them and i just think it's fascinating me that how seriously people take the the entertainment that 
that we provide and the access you have to it now, like how disposable it is as well. I'd always considered it because it was, and I'm talking about like streaming of content here as opposed to some of the other things that we do, but I'd always sort of thought, you know, because you're not going to the cinema and you're taking time to travel, to park, to buy your popcorn, to sit down in the seat, like it's an event. Like, are we diminishing the value of the entertainment we're providing because it's so accessible? Like, someone could be watching a film whilst they're working on a Maya scene, for example. Like, it's so accessible. Like, has that has it devalued the the what it's worth to people? And actually, you know, reading that article, I was like, well, clearly not, because this this chap was particularly upset. It's a fascinating subject, though, because I had a similar conversation with uh, one of our recruiters around. Uh... I think there are some stats released around the, the most streamed shows on Netflix and the ones that scored highly are considered uh, uh, passive views, so mm-hmm. passive viewing. So the idea, I mean, when I used to work in TV years and years ago, they used to talk about this future where you're watching your show and you've got your phone, you've got your multi-device set up, you're, right. you're on your social media, you're posting stuff, you're tweeting, you're going on Spotify to see what that track is. Um, but you're not actually absorbed in that content unless you go to a cinema I think that's the only place where you can be fully immersed or at a theme park where you're actually all in for that 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 experience yeah but in terms of streaming now it does worry me that you're not all in because the the work that goes into that we've seen what's happened with 1899 yeah I mean gutted that that's happened for obvious reasons but for just personal reasons I was so into that show because I was all in I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a confession here now on on the pod. I have all the streaming platforms, right? I've got th- I've got three kids, so you have to have all the uh, Prime, Netflix, Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, probably, yeah, <laughs> probably Sky, I've got a Discovery Plus, all of them. Um, but my wife and I always default to Channel Five or E4. It's a generational thing. Uh, not all the time, but you know we're like. I think, I, do you know what? I really think it is. And part of it is because, you know, my wife and I are quite similar where we, I, I can't, I, I can't sit down and consume and get involved with a piece of content for two hours straight without being distracted by something else. I think that's why I've always, whilst I used to support the film team, you know, as I started at, at Framestore, I was never, I always knew I wasn't going to go down that film route because I wanted to be juggling two or three projects, four, five, six projects at a time. I didn't have the didn't have it in my personality to sit and focus on one thing for, you know, 12 months, 18 months. And so that's why I think, you know, film for me to sit down and devote two hours, it has to be really special for me to do that or an event. So I did take myself to go and watch Avatar 2 with my two eldest kids for three hours, 13 minutes. Was worth it though. Yeah, no, I hear, I hear it's a bit of a game changer. Worth it. Get yourself down there. I'm on it. I'm on it. All over it. Um, yeah, my my treat this year was finally getting around to watching uh, Maverick streamed because I, I, I struggle to get out to the cinema these days. But uh, that was my Christmas treat. Last time I watched something in its entirety. But just everyone's just so busy though, aren't they? Now, like, there's always something going on. So many distractions. Like, it's hard. It's hard to devote two hours to one thing i don't know how people do it it's rare i'm lucky to get that in an evening i'm lucky to have that just to kind of have a bit of dinner and well, it's because you're editing this pod all the time simon by the sounds of it you're devoted to the cause i know rod for my own back the pod father i am the pod father thank you 
You see, I love how this podcast is going to evolve. I now have a moniker christened by Carl. <laughs> well, uh, we're doing well because we're only, we've only done question one, Carl. I knew this would be an interesting conversation. And you've alluded to your, uh, your tenure at Framestore, but it would be remiss of me not to ask the question, which is how long have you worked here? So you said two decades, but could you be mm. more specific? Seven, 17 years. And, and, you know, this is a visual prop, which won't work on the podcast. But up to the left of me here, Simon, is my 10, 10 year poster, all the people that at the time had been there 10 years. Was oh, some, good. Got Mr. McGee on there, Elvis. No one knows how long Elvis has actually been at Framestore or how old he is. If you can get Elvis on this podcast and find out if get him to reveal his true age, I think you'd have a bumper bumper stats. Elvis is a great shout for a guest, so yeah, duly noted. Get get him on there. My first boss, Elvis Baptiste. No way. Yeah, I joined as a joined as a runner, and Elvis was commanding the commanding the kitchen. That was yeah, seventeen and a half years ago would have been. Um, Amy Smith is respond. Amy Smith's responsibility for hiring me. If you're looking for someone to blame. She was the one who brought me in. Amy Smith has a lot to answer for, doesn't she? She knows I bring this up every now and then when it suits. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I joined as a as a runner because I, you know, I I knew I wasn't going to become an editor by working at Framestore, but I, you know, it was a name that I was aware of when I was you know putting my CV around Soho, and I didn't think I'd hear back from Framestore. So when I did, I was like, you know, I'm in. So yeah, I've been here 17, 17 and a half years and I joined as a runner, then moved into the systems team as a moves and changes person. So it's where we used to physically move people's machines around the different buildings that we inhabited in Soho, which was up to five at one point because people got very attached to their computers and their Wacom pens and they had to have their equipments we used to move them around and that meant I got more involved in technology and then I supported the commercials team and um, helped uh, well set up the the office in Iceland which some people don't know that we ever had but we had for a few years and yeah most of my support was focused around looking after the commercials teams because they were always working on lots of different projects and then, you know, working with Cy Worley on design and digital projects, that was, you know, really interesting for me. And as they became a bit more technical and they needed some some dedicated support, gradually sort of weaseled my way onto projects and involved myself. And yeah, here I am now that in, in responsible for a, a, a growing department, one I'm, you know, really excited about and, you know, happy to be steering now you know over the last year and into into this one so yeah it's been been 17 odd years but it feels like yesterday that I was standing outside Knoll Street running tapes down to various other houses. I was going to ask what it must feel like to be with an institution for that amount of time and you've kind of answered the question already where it almost feels like yesterday. I don't know any different is the honest truth. I joined when I was 21 straight out of uni you know, all my good things, all my bad things I've experienced and developed whilst, you know, being at Framestore. It's it's part of um, my family, I guess, really, as much as I am part of it, if that makes sense. You know, it's always it's always been around for me. So, you know, I have a slightly different perspective on the culture to probably 95% of people that haven't been here that long. And, you know, we were hundreds of people at the time, not thousands, but, um, you know, fundamentally, you know, I wouldn't, to see, sorry to interrupt, but to see that 
that growth of the company and now it's blown up. I mean, even just talking about Iceland, I had no, I had no idea that was a thing. Well, I think that Iceland is a very good a demonstrator of how Framestore supports people and their ambitions. Um, Dardy Ineson, who was one of our supervisors in the London film team, as you can probably guess from his name, was was from Iceland and was actually commuting to London and travelling home at weekends. So the, a proposition was put forward to set up an outpost, if you like, in Iceland. And we had a small team there and a small systems team and a little render farm and stuff. And, you know, gradually the direction of that changed and Dardy's since gone client side has been VFX soup, you know, for us on um, on The Witcher. So, you know, like I think good example of how the business supported an individual to, to achieve their ambition in, in a way that was mutually beneficial. So, yeah, not a lot of people know about that. But that was, um, yeah. It's a great nugget and uh, great to have on the podcast. That's why we have these conversations to, to find this stuff out. I could I could probably do an Iceland podcast. There's some stories about Iceland. I'll do, save that for another day. I'll have you back on. I mean, I've said to all of our uh, special guests, these, <laughs> these New Year episodes, is uh, you, uh, you can still come back as a regular guest. So let's move into the, uh, the the review of the year then. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of questions that I, I, I did send to you beforehand. It's no secret that we send these questions out in advance. You know, we can come up with this stuff off the cuff. <laughs> but what was the, the breakthrough project or show this year from your perspective, Carl? What would you put out there? Well, the, the breakthrough projects of last year within Immersive have started, but yet to be released, I would say. You know, the the team have done some great work, award-winning work. You know, the work that we've done with Universal on the Jurassic franchise picked up a Thea Awards at the back end of 2022, which is, like you know, it's the industry award for recognising achievements in themed entertainment industry. So it's great for us to pick that up, and we're really proud of that. The New York team did an amazing um, procedurally generated uh, Houdini simulation as 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 a, a blended with some ai to to produce an art installation for one of our clients out there where you know it was a huge giant led wall that was visuals were procedurally generated from houdini into unreal engine and driven by ai voice prompts so you would be interviewed by the ai and answer questions and it would generate a piece of art based on your answers so you know two different scales of things there and i think you know like there are a few projects over the course of the 17 years that I can name, which like really stand out as seminal pieces of work, not just for Framestore, but for the industry. And I think obviously you've got Walking With in there, you've got Gravity, of course. And I think, you know, the Paddington ones will always hold a special place for, for all of us. I think anyone that, you know, even if you didn't work on them, it's quite proud to be able to say that uh, the business we work for has delivered them. But I think, you know, I know what a monumental undertaking it was for FPS and Sarah and her team to, to do 1899. And from the moment that project came in and I shared an office with our motion capture supervisor at the time and Manon, who was the lead producer within, you know, in the virtual production team, monumental, like unbelievable. If anyone hasn't seen the the imagery of that stage and the size of the screens and and what they did to produce that content. You know, you want to talk about people understanding the effort that goes into a production to put 60 minutes, 45 minutes of pixels on a monitor. Phenomenal. It's unreal. 
unreal, literally unreal. So bravo to that team. I think that is, you know, as an achievement as a team, a newly formed team as well, and new technology working remotely to produce that is standout, I think. I agree. We've funny enough we talked about um virtual production on our last episode with uh, with James Russell. Mm. Uh, and one of my takes on virtual production is you know the term virtual production has kind of felt feels like a buzzword now now that we're well yeah. through kind of covid and uh, and and you know returning to hybrid working. But I don't think even I would be prepared for really seeing not the magnificentness but the epicness of a of a, a stage like that. Because I've seen the BTSs and they look amazing. To see that kind of grandeur of that LED wall just in action must be the sight to behold. It's a spectacle, isn't it? It's a, it's a spectacle, no doubt about it. And I think, you know, Raz is spot on, really. Like, CG is virtual production, isn't it? Really, it's, if you're doing a fully CG production, it's all virtual. It's virtual production. You know, that that, that terminology does get bounded around quite a lot. Um, I think that's what's different though about frame stores and it's like we we put these we have homes for these things rather than just using generalized terms you know we have a dedicated division for that type of work you know and you know what a great job they've done by all accounts and you know from what I've seen phenomenal really impressive majesty was the word I was looking for not not magnificentness I don't think that's that's even a word in the dictionary so Apologies for my my poor use of grammar. Um, so, what was the best thing about? This is an interesting question. This is because um, the the traditional question on the dailies is, what's the best thing about working at Framestore? Which is a nice conversational piece around culture. But what for you, Carl, has been the best thing about being part of Framestore this last year? That's a really good question. It's a tough question. I mean, it's difficult to pick one year out over any other because each year presents different set of challenges and I think you know if you feel like you're getting in the groove a bit and you're in a lane you want to try and push it a bit more I mean I do personally like I think those that have worked with me for a long time will know that like I always feel like nothing is ever done there's always a bit more and a bit faster I think what's been you know quite impressive over the 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 past year for me is to see how well the the teams that I immediately more immediately work with have settled into this kind of way of working and still producing outstandingly high pieces of work you know there's there's some team members and in the New York team that um have never met each other in person because you know you think about how um how spread out they are like some of them don't actually aren't actually based in New York they're based all over North America and I think it's fascinating that we can now do that so big plus point for me is We've now got the technology and the learnings in place to not be limited by geography when we're taking on projects. You know, I've got a person joining our team in um, March, April, is joining us all the way from Australia because we're able to kind of now broaden our mindset beyond they have to be within the M25 and you have to be able to hop on a train and get to the office within, you know, 45 minutes. You know, we're recruiting someone literally from the other side of the planet because we feel they're the best fit for the role. So last year, the last 12 months have been great, I think, for opening our eyes to that and the industry's eyes to that. So, um, you know, I I, I um, look forward to be able to to do that more, but still being able to, you know, build that, that sense of team and camaraderie around our remote workers as much as those who are able to come into the offices. 
that's the next challenge, I think, for global teams, isn't it? Because I think you do have that um, amazing talent pool to fish from now, because as you say, you people can get the work done anywhere in the world now. It's been proven. You know, we've had a whole pandemic to, to make that happen. Mm. And now it's how do you, um, if, you, if you're so globally distributed, how do you create a team spirit? Um, I mean, I struggle with my team to find, to find the sweet spot where everybody can join a meeting, which there isn't one. So how, no. do, you, how do you do it? I mean, it's irrefutable, isn't it? That this is, that, that remote working works for producing content. It's, you, you know, it's, you, you can't deny it. And clients are now more accepting of it than they ever were. I mean, I used to scoff at seeing head of remote titles pop up on LinkedIn, but now actually I think there's an incredible amount of value in that. How do you achieve the same level of um, team ethic, culture, all of those things that make, you know, what was special five years ago, how do you bring those to the the new way of working? Um, you know, and I think you need specialist people to look into how we achieve that. This is important. It's certainly a science, isn't it? Now you can't just stick a, a Google Hangout in and run a Zoom quiz or whatever. It's it's not a box ticking exercise, is it? Like building teams and relationships with people extends far beyond, you know, just sitting next to someone. Like it's much it's much more. You know, you you want to build a a sense of, uh, you know, a true sense of of the words. In the truest sense of the word, you want to build a, a team spirit within your within your teams so that you know people look out for one another they help one another got each other's back and you know that's you know you spend as i said before you spend so much of your time at work you know it's it makes sense to invest in the team doesn't it agreed agreed um so moving on to question five carl is what project or piece of work truly showcased framestore's capabilities in 2022 and that's difficult to say isn't it we do a lot. We do so much stuff. You know, that's like picking a favorite child. I could pick a favorite one at the moment. Yeah. I won't. I think, you know, like I said, I, you know, I touched on Sarah and, and, and Snix's team's work on 1899. For me, that is, that feels like a, a, a tentpole mo- moment on the timeline for Framestore. You know, I think that that can't be overlooked. But, you know, I know that um, Johnny Dixon and his labs team are are making really good strides in developing their their product, so their signage product as an offering. Um, it's the first time we've we've done that as a business, where we've kind of you know we're offering and shipping a product as opposed to you know being a vendor for hire on on for services on other projects. So that I think is really commendable, and I know that they're, they're making really good inroads there with their their clients in the. Um, especially in the US. So, you know, it's, it's always difficult to single out, I think. Um, and also there is so much work that gets, you know, produced. And, you know, like when Fiona does her roundup or Lottie and Charles, the amount of things that get produced is phenomenal. It's impossible to be aware of all of them to, to say that one's really stand out. But I think, you know, even before the marketing, the behind the scenes, even before 1899 came out, you knew it was going to be, one of those projects that was, you know, a, a spike on the timeline. Um, just out of interest, and this isn't one of the scripted questions, because we talk about obviously the uh, the big landmarks for Framestore, but were there any kind of shows or projects last year that kind of not flew under the radar, but the work you thought were like, wow, that was brilliant, but probably didn't get the credit it deserved or didn't get the plaudits or the awards, whether it be a piece of commercial work, a piece of immersive, a show, a piece of episodic, I mean. 
Can I give a selfish answer to that question? No, please do. So there was a project um, that I I sort of worked on with a very small group of people under the radar because it was you know it's a really important cause for me personally that I felt we we had to take on and really wanted to take on you know like apply these skills that we had in entertainment for a good purpose and so you know one of um, mine and Johnny Dixon's uh, clients from from the labs days had got in touch and said look Carl you know um, uh, want to produce a, a digital human and the backstory is that you know this this lad unfortunately lost his life due to knife crime when he was 15 years old and this would have been his 30th birthday and was would have been a pro footballer and and you know Kyan Prince was the boy's name he played for Queen's Park Rangers and was exceptionally talented very popular young young man that you know unfortunately like you know t- all too often you hear about people using you know involved in these circumstances and and he unfortunately lost his life too soon and we all know how complex a process it is to produce a photorealistic digi double um let alone one of someone who we didn't have heaps of images or and videos of because this was you know 17 years ago now he passed so we didn't have the plethora of of material to reproduce him and we also didn't know what he would have looked like at 30. So I knew as much as I wanted to do this project, it was cost prohibitive to do this project. So I went straight to Mike McGee and I said, look, we've got this thing in. I think we need to do it, but going to need to think smart about how we do it because it can't be realised in the in the traditional sense. So, you know, it came, we, we brought the project to life. It had a big launch you know, um, billboards in Piccadilly Circus, a 20-minute segment on BBC Breakfast News, raised lots of money for for Kyan's foundation. Um, but yeah, the project flew totally under the radar until the point it was out there and people at work and within my friendship circle were talking about, did you see this thing on BBC News and one of my friends actually said you know that's Carl's project you know Carl worked on that because and they didn't know about it and anyway so last year it picked up all the awards that can it won the Grand Prix the Titanium so it's good to see something that we 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 had to approach really sensitively and a little bit under the radar to get it to get it through because we had to be quite crafty with having got the work done to be recognized and pick up all those awards was yeah that was great for me that was you know, that is the career highlight, I think. You know, it was good for Framestore to be able to contribute skills and resources in a way that meant we were able to make a bit of a, a difference for 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 Kyan's family and uh, and the foundation. So, yeah, that will, um, yeah, unforgettable for me. And, um, yeah, re- really proud of that one. Yeah, no, congrats on, on that as well. That's amazing. Um, how can people uh, see that? Is that all on the website? Yes, it's on the it's on the website. We can we can pop a we can pop a link in the the details for the pod, perhaps. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's on the Framestore website. Thanks, Carl. So, how did we along the same lines? The next question is an interesting one: is how did Framestore? How did we surprise audiences last year? I mean, Mike's heard me say this before, and and Tim, I'm sure, has too. Like, I think we've really done our job when nobody knows we've done our job. So for me, like the the greatest accolade is almost no accolade because 
you know, the the best visual effects you want to go unnoticed. You know, I think there are certain pieces of work which we've done that might not be the most heavily awarded because they're not bombastic in their kind of their effects and their grandeur, but they're incredible pieces of work. And, you know, so in that sense, I guess there are, you know, there are some projects we've done which perhaps have surprised audiences because they're going to have no idea that was CG. Like I had no idea that was, you know, that that was computer generated. And I think the um, the Nike commercial that Charles Howell and the team were involved in, I mean, look, I'm taking it back to football again because I'm a, 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 I do love my football and and those who know me know I'm into my, my Nike trainers. So for me, like the Ronaldos and Nike and the technology that went into producing that film a film not an ad I'll say like I think that would have surprised people because there'd been a few kind of sports stars back to life playing as their younger selves that hadn't really nailed it and I think that team smashed it like it was great commercial sent that round instantly around all my friends and family and I think um you know they were they were quite impressed they're like what yeah and what did you do library footage you know like the elf um spot with Asda like it's incredible really good like simple idea but actually really quite technical to execute and I know that the team went through lots of hurdles to achieve that so I think yeah I think for me the magic of visual effects is when you don't know there's any visual effects that, that Nike commercial is a great shot because it, it took me back to those uh, uh was it create the future and those mm. kind of epic kind of Nike commercials that normally mm. drop around the time of the world cup and it was great to have one of those in, in the frame store canon. And it's been a while since we've seen one like that. And we're, we're not, something that's been on my radar anyway, and it was insane. I think I was at the same uh, town hall that uh, Charles presented it at, at, at frame store London that you were at. I think you were on stage being interviewed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, he did show it there, didn't he? Well, I mean, you know, Charles, I'm, I now work with Charles a lot more closely given my role is global as opposed to dealing with London. And he'd we were in touch quite a lot towards the end of that project. I know that was a big push to to get that one out. That's a great piece of work. Really, really good. So, Cole, uh, moving into question seven then, which is all around lessons learned. You know, what was the big lesson either for us as a business or for you personally that you, you took away last year? Personally, f- for me and... Um, you know my my growth into my my new role and having responsibility for for more people and a, a wider team is at Framestore people are passionate about what they do and people love to get into the weeds on what they do. You know whether you're on the box or you're a producer or you know spend a lot of your time in CETA or you're in Nuke or whatever. We spoke a lot about passion on on the on the pod today, and I think. You know, everyone has that from bottom up. But having this, you know, the, the bigger team that are now responsible for managing, you can't be in the weeds on everything. So you have to to learn to trust your team, your people that you put in a position of responsibility to do what you, you know, you're asking them to do. So I think, you know, for me, I like to be involved in the install as much as I do going out to win the win the project and kind of like develop the architecture for the project with the creative and the technical teams but you know as as you grow personally and your responsibilities change you need to 
hand some things over to others and that aids their development and their growth too so I think that for me was big takeaway from last year as I began to take on more responsibility was learning how to divulge some of that responsibility and share it with others and not be too precious about having to to do too much yourself like you know you don't need to feel guilty about saying you're not doing something anymore and letting someone else do it you know if you if you help show someone how to do something in a way that you want it done and you teach them new skills and aid their development as well as your own really because it means that you're able to grow by allowing others to grow in the way they support you so for me personally that's one of the you know the the big things i learned there's nothing more frustrating you know when you're working into a supervisor or a client that's asked you to do something and them not letting you do it because that's what you've been asked to do so i think you know as as a manager now and less focused like on 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 projects on the box that for me was a big big learning let the people do the work yeah that's a really good uh, i mean that's great to have on on this podcast as well almost that kind of management and leadership advice when you do kind of step up into that role is yeah trusting the team isn't it it's trusting the team to get the job done because you've got a team of specialists and incredibly passionate people if you think about like the responsibility that the senior management team have now compared to perhaps when someone's it's just not scalable as a business to like be into everything you have to you have to learn to to trust people and that's not to say you know I don't want that to be confused with when I wasn't a manager I didn't trust them and now I'm a manager I trust them it's more about like judging myself and learning how to not judge myself for not going all in on something because don't worry Heather's just got it or your Janie's going to sort that or Liam's going to do you know like so it's learning learning to kind of share the load I think for me personally and it's a question of capacity isn't it it's a question of re- re- being realistic because you can't possibly be over absolutely no, everything you know it's uh you know it ends up just being everything's half finished so yeah I completely agree with you that definitely comes across so this is the opportunity to get your shout outs out your MV- MVPs most valuable player or players this year so who would you like to shout out Carl and again hard one because we had this with uh, with James on the last one. He just went with one because then if you if you go two or three, then it's like you're in danger of missing people out. But I'll let you just roll with it, Carl. Who do you want to shout out as an MVP? I'm so you are actually asking me to choose the favourite child. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go down the Raz route and I'm gonna choose one person. And I don't and I think, you know, everyone within the immediate team will understand why I've chosen this person. I think some people God, now I'm thinking about my reasoning for this. There's more people I could I could I could group in this I could group in this bracket, but I think, you know, sometimes people really do amaze you by going above and beyond, you know, and I think it's really privileged to work with lots of people that because they're passionate, they go above and beyond. But sometimes there are people who are you know, they're, they're preempting things before it's even crossed your mind and they've put in place a, a solution to help you. And, you know, the, you know, the reason they're doing it is not for personal gain. It's not to have more notoriety. It's not to have kind of the hero shot in a film. They're doing it because they think it's the right thing to do. So there's a there's a chap in, in the immersive team, the senior developer, Thor Bunting, who is always one to go above and beyond. And I think, you know, members of the artist and production team would acknowledge that he's a great credit to Framestore. Doesn't matter what side of the pond you're on, you know that from a 
immersive technology point of view, Thor's always got your back. Safe, reliable pair of hands. He's, I would say, if you're forcing me to pick one person, which I'm going to say you are forcing me to pick one person, I'll pick Thor for 22. Well, if you want to throw in any notables, you're more than welcome, Carl. I wouldn't be that. I wouldn't be that dictatorial on the podcast. Everyone in the team is notable. Every, but in in a serious way, every everyone has made you know significant and unique contributions that without each and every one of them, we wouldn't have got to where we've got to. So I think you know I don't think anyone would feel comfortable singling out one person. But I think you know from from a real-time point of view, Thor's done an outstanding job over the past 12 months. I think that's absolutely fair. Thanks for that, Carl. So moving on into tools and approaches, and we've touched on some of these tools already, but you know, what tools or approaches that we developed came into their own this last year? Do you think it's on the virtual production side that we've spoken about, or is there something else? You know, the, the tools, the technology, they're there to support the artists, right? So despite being a bit of a technophile, I still believe that, you know, creative should drive the technology, not technology drive the creative. I think it's taken us a little bit of time for real-time capabilities to spread beyond just the immersive team. But obviously, I know that's happening in spades now in FPS and um, Tim Weber's short film is out soon, which has you know been a big collaboration with Epic Games and is... Um, good demonstration of our capabilities in filmmaking with unreal engine so i think you know for me i'm my previous role was uh you know was director of real time so i had a, a responsibility for trying to grow that area of business and i still do have some some responsibility for how real time is used at frame store but i think you know uh that is is trans is transformative for our business and our industry so it's really great to see that starting to break through now so we're moving into the last set of questions now, which are future focused and a bit more, a few fun ones in there as well. But what message or advice do you have for our Framestore teams going into 2023? I would say for, you know, going into 23, don't be, try not to be limited by what you think you can do or what you think your opportunity or path is. You know, the business is large. There are pockets of, teams that you may not even know about um, and, and we're doing what we can to fix that to make sure that you know people know about all the available opportunities within the business but you know if you're into something there's likely going to be an outlet for your skills within the business you know whether that is in film or tv or theme parks and that's not me saying you know look there's one big artist pull everyone dive in because i'm sure the respective hod's would be really cross with me if i was to suggest that everyone was but what i'm saying is there's plenty of opportunity at at frame store you know um and look beyond your your current horizon as to what you want to be doing in the future you know like you don't have to stay on the straight and narrow and work your way up a predefined path you can try working in film for a bit or you could say you love a particular franchise and you want to find a different outlet for working on that you know particular ip that's not a tv commercial but perhaps it's a i don't know theme park ride or something else then there's outlets for for everyone i think and um more exposure all of us have to what one another does i think that will help with the the team spirit and understanding i think 
uh, the, actually, the Global Mentoring Programme has gone some way to address that. Okay, is, uh, opportunities are starting to come out of those relationships because we are connecting people from across disciplines, across geographies, across teams. Great. And uh, yeah, those conversations are opening up you know, avenues for people to explore. Uh, that's just one example. I mean, there's lots of other ways you can go about it for sure. What I'm saying is sign up to the mentoring program, people. If you're listening, get in touch. We need more mentors and mentees. I'm not using this as a vehicle for the mentoring program, I promise. <laughs> so, Carl, what's one question you, one of my personal favorite questions this, what's one question you wish I'd asked you and how would you have answered it? Who's your favorite football team? <laughs> I should have seen that one coming. Man United is my favorite football team. But I work in an industry where there's not that many people into football, you see. So I know Mel and William are, are obviously, you know, respectively Arsenal and, and Tottenham fans and season ticket holders. Uh, as I was a Man United season ticket holder and, until COVID. But yeah, football for me, I don't get to talk about football enough at Framestore. Too many people into film. Are you lifelong? Because all the Man U supporters I grew up with were all glory hunters because I, I grew up in Leicester. So I was like, why don't you support Leicester? You had all these Man U and Liverpool. I mean, I grew up in the 80s. So. Well, I don't, I, I don't support my local football team. I, I, I mean, to say I don't support them, I support them in so much as they're my, my local team. Uh, they were dissolved when I was a kid because they went bankrupt. And I wasn't really that into sport at school, but my best friend who shared the same birthday was like, oh, you should support Man United. I think I was like seven years old. And then we had family friends that had, you know, that knew players. So I had tickets and I'd go up. And then, you know, when I had my son, I got season tickets. So we used to, you know, schlep it up the up the M1, the M6 to go and watch um, Man United every other weekend. So yeah, football for me. Well, I grew up, I can't claim to be a football fan necessarily. I think you know that about me. I do. Uh, Carl, I subscribe to the the former group that you mentioned earlier, but my family, uh, I come from a massive Arsenal family, but not, uh, going back to what I said earlier, all from Leicester. My dad grew up, you know, around Highbury, selling programmes. And oh, wow. uh, that's probably one of the reasons why I'm not into football is I was dressed up in Arsenal kits when I was a kid. And I think I... Uh, I repelled them uh, and uh, yeah, I supported Leicester for a brief period and uh, decided not to. I can watch from the sidelines quite happily. But if there are any Man U supporters out there who uh, you, you want to kind of connect with and talk footy with, I'm sure we could create a little G-chat space. I don't think there's many football fans at Framestore. I, d- I haven't found many, I think. Open offer to anybody listening because I'm sure we have thousands of subscribers already. <laughs> You're what you will now see, you'll see the stats nosedive now. I've mentioned football and Man United, where it's just pew, 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 and they've all, all fallen away. And uh, exactly, yeah, I've killed it, absolutely shelled it. Well, I've done. My subscriber base of 10 will go down to, yeah, minus numbers. So, uh, final, final, well, final, penultimate question is, who would you like to hear on this very podcast in 2023? Who would you like? Mike McGee. Not the first time that's come up. Get Mike on the pod. I mean, Mike is the best anecdotal storyteller I've ever heard and great public speaker. Obviously been with the business since day one. I feel like Mike owes it to all of us. Mike should have a slot on every pod, but he's also one of the busiest people I know, Simon, so you might struggle. You might have to record a bit of Mike in bursts if... You reckon they were ten minute snippets. I reckon so. He's all, I just like you know, I've shared 
planes, taxis, trains with Mike McGee and some of the stories I've heard about the early days, like anyone that's done the history of Framestore talk with Mike McGee, there's way more to it than that. It's fascinating. If I'm ever in a cab with Mike McGee, I might just kind of hit record on my uh, my voice memos and just yeah. release it as a podcast if I can't get him on the actual pod. You know, a bit go. of stealth, bit of stealth tactics. But yeah, it's not the first time Mike McGee's come up as a uh, on on the, the podcast wish list. So, uh, Mike, if you're listening, I'm coming for you. Brilliant, um, Carl. Uh, I just want to finish with uh, the question we ask everyone. So we move out of the sphere of uh, immersive visual effects, all things frame store, and we're getting into culinary delights. And if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Easy. It's curry. Oh, no question. Man after my own heart. What would be your dream kind of order? My dream order. I mean, I had curry last night, actually, and uh, I tend to order the same thing every And I'm going out for curry tomorrow night. Has to be a pilau rice and then a, a chicken tikka madras uh, with uh, a sagalu, poppadoms and half a peshwari naan. Because the Peshwari naan's basically like the dessert, isn't it? And the poppadoms are like the starter. I, I shy away from starters if I'm eating curry out because I just think you can't enjoy all of that delicious flat beer if you're if you're if you're carb loading with starters beforehand. Um, but yeah, curry for me. Well, I, I can't argue with that. I'm uh, it's the first time it's come up on the pod, but I'm sure it won't be the last. First time. First time. We've had some quite unique. Uh, I mean, we're only kind of what seven episodes deep. I'm not going to pretend to be uber sophisticated. I've spoken about curry and football. Like I'm a, I'm a pretty. Uh, I like curry, football, and Nike trainers. I'm an open and plain book. That's me. There you go. And that's why, again, why we have these conversations on the pod. Carl Woolley, the open, the open book. <laughs> In a positive way. I mean that very complimentary. <laughs> I'm going to cheekily ask you one non-scripted question on, because I, I never know how this is going to go. Because when we had episode one, uh, the question, uh, I think Sergio, our real trainer, the, the answer to the question around the question you wish I'd asked you, he said, what music do I listen to? And I thought, actually, we should start a little Spotify playlist based on the podcast. Yeah, good idea. And to be fair, I would say a, small, a, a larger percentage have said they don't listen to music while they work. Um, and I'm like, wow, really? What? So we have a podcast playlist but we've had a few folk who have said i don't listen to music i'm like okay fine well throw some recos anyway but carl do you have a go-to playlist artist genre of music that you listen to while you're in your deep work in your flow i tend to yes is the answer so if i'm not in back-to-back calls or meetings and i'm thinking through i don't know like a scope of work or a contract or something like that i will have i will have a there's a playlist that i put on which I which I will listen to, and I there are I'm slightly deflecting here because there's a producer in my team who I will not name who I know likes to put her noise cancelling headphones on and blast out Eminem to cut <laughs> to cut everyone out while she's deep in bidding. But yeah, I like to put I've got quite a varied uh, taste in music, and I like to be surprised. So I have a mix of of things from um like some old school motown and a bit of house music and um things that i listen to when i'm on the in the in the gym or on the treadmill and then i just let it go random and then be interspersed with a bit of oasis and actually there's some venga there's some venga boys on the playlist (laughs) so it's uh, again i'll tell you i'm uncultured eclectic eclectic. i'm uncultured i'm not going to pretend to be otherwise um, I'll release my playlist if people want. No, send. We'll get another link in the show notes. We'll get you a few followers. And uh, yeah, if you want to send me 
two tracks for the player, the Spotify yes, I will. podcast playlist. That would be a mega. Carl, that's it. We're done. I never know how to finish these things. So I'm just going to say thank you, Carl. That was awesome. Um, again, happy new year and good luck going into 2023 in your, your new role. Cheers, Simon. Thank you. It's going to be another big one. So uh, thanks for making the time. No, pleasure. Cheers. Well, that was episode seven. Another wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Carl. Tune in this Thursday for episode eight, the last of our 2022 review episodes, where we chat to Sarah Cushwar, Managing Director for Framestore Pre-Production Services. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then.